The Karate Kid spinoff Cobra Kai was launched on YouTube Red in 2018 to relative obscurity. As nobody was flocking to YouTube for original scripted content that's put behind a paywall, the show never had a major impact. But then, it was picked up by Netflix in June of 2020, where it quickly shot up to number one on trending. It was the same exact show, the same two seasons that had been available on YouTube Red for two years. But it only became popular when it was attached to the Netflix name. This is the example I point to when I think about Netflix's foothold in the SVOD space. This topic has been on my mind for some time, leaving me eager to speak with a trusted figure in this field. That's why I'm so glad to have Ryan Downey of TheStreamingAdvisor.com here today to discuss deeper. We go into Cobra Kai, what it says about Netflix's dominance, future streaming platforms such as Discovery Plus, predictions for the SVOD space, and of course, the obligatory Quibi analysis. Enjoy. Well, fantastic. Ryan Downey, thank you so much for taking the time to chat about everything related to OTT platforms, cord cutting, uh, the streaming revolution that we're seeing. Um, so I guess just jumping right into it, can you talk a little bit about who is Ryan Downey? What is the streaming advisor, the community you've built, and I guess the, the credibility you have around these topics? Well, my background is I'd, from a journalism start. I studied it in college and worked at newspapers doing sports writing, things like that, and you know, just general assignment reporting. But unfortunately, I finished school right at the time when the whole blasted industry was kind of collapsing. And so I you know, found my way out of it for a while and did some other work. But when the economy finally crashed, I decided that that was a good time to maybe start something new. So I went back to my roots. But at the same time, me and my wife were getting really concerned on basic bills. Just, you know, saying, you know, where can we save a little here and there and otherwise. We realized we weren't watching all that much TV on cable. We were watching a lot of main networks. And we live in an area where we could just drop cable and still get ABC, NBC, and things like that. And that worked for us because we were watching football and, and stuff like that. And uh, so I started looking into the hardware for all these things, hardware, software. You know, I was aware of Netflix and I was aware of Hulu. That was really early on, but still existed. And what I kept finding was every time I found an article about Roku or any of the services, it was always very poorly written. It was usually just some... You know, they'd be like the budget mom or something like that. They really didn't understand the technology or what was going on. And so I started exploring it myself and bought it and said, you know, this is this is what I need to be doing. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a writer. I'm a researcher. I'm an interviewer. I can do this. And so I started 
writing, publishing a small blog that, you know, with the intention of getting it bigger and met some friends who wanted to help me move it forward. And so they helped me redesign the website. And, you know, once it had a better look, my words made more sense to people. And within two years, you know, I was meeting at CES with, you know, people like Plex and, you know, app developers and, you know, just have gone on from there. But uh, it just, yeah, as far as, you know, how I built credibility, I, you know, it's really through the power of words, uh, people run across things just like you did. And they say, you know, and I guess it strikes them. You know, they, they said, you know, maybe it's because I have a little bit of a different approach than some people. I'm not overly nice when I talk about what's going on. I think some people are afraid to, almost afraid to criticize. And uh, they don't necessarily, they're afraid it's going to hurt their revenue or something like that. I don't know. But it's working out. You know, people, you know, I've met a lot of people that I always respected and, you know, am honored and humbled when I find out they respect me for my work, you know. Fantastic, man. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine how, how weird of an experience it must be to go from a fan to then a collaborator. But um, yeah, Ryan, I jumping into some of the topics that uh, we're really excited to dive into, um, you know, uh, it is funny. You started this, you talked about your background, and I think that is the story for most Americans right now. And I think most interestingly, how hyper-competitive this space is getting. So um, I wonder what your general thoughts are on the very competitive nature that we're seeing with these streaming platforms. You know, you're seeing some, uh, you know, Roku not uh, allowing uh, Amazon, I mean, uh, or HBO Max onto uh, their platform. You know, you're seeing a lot of really hyper-competitive behavior. So uh, I guess, what are your thoughts on the current state of streaming? And uh, I guess how these different streaming services and platforms are interacting with one another? Well, for the most part, all of the platforms really want to have all the apps. But what you saw with Roku and Amazon with HBO Max was just a matter of, you know, how can we get this on here and also cash in as much as we want to? And they had to have kind of a staring contest to figure out who was going to blink first. And it looks like it was Roku and Amazon because they kept fighting wanting to get HBO Max in their sort of special stores. They have like a, spe you know, they have their, their basic app stores. And then both of them have a platform where people can interact with the apps and add them you know, in a just a little bit different way. There's no reason to get too technical about it. But both of those companies wanted HBO Max to work like that. And there's dozens and dozens of apps that already do. But HBO said, no, you know, we want to be treated like Netflix. Yeah. And even backtracking um, to why this is so important, because I know a lot of people may just go, okay, who cares? You're not on Roku. You're not on this machine people use to watch their streaming services. You know, now uh, Xfinity offers one of those. There's uh, the Amazon Fire Stick. Um, people watch content on their computers. Can you speak to why Roku is so important and so dominant in this space? Well, it's dominant for a couple of reasons, I think. For one, it was the first to the market. It started, you know, as a Netflix player. It was the Roku Netflix player. 
You can look up, you can find little videos on the original Roku Netflix player. Not from me, but the they so they established the idea of a little box that you hooked up to the TV that would do internet content. Amazon, but though Amazon's in a similar place to Roku now, they both have, if I understand, over 50 million activated accounts. So that's 100 million between the two of them as far as people watching streaming content through them, and they dwarf everybody else, including people watching on a computer or people watching on an iPad or Apple TV or any of the other many, many platforms out there. Roku, though, is at this point has gotten to a point where because they put their operating system on so many televisions, and it's usually inexpensive TVs and the ones that are often very much reduced on Black Friday, their operating system is now like the most common smart TV operating system in the country. So they have this really big reach where if you're not on Roku, it's like if you were trying to sell you know, hardware or like you know, if you were trying to sell yard stuff, but they, you couldn't be sold at Lowe's and Home Depot. You know, imagine like establishing a brand in that kind of environment. Yeah, so talking about Roku's dominance and now putting that context into why it's so important for other players to get their content onto Roku. So um, can you talk a bit about, and this is where the kind of fascinating, sometimes exciting politics um, you start to really see play out. So what is Roku's aim? How are they trying to monetize and uh, I guess through this strong arm some of the other players like HBO Max? Well, what they do is for one, and this and this it goes like this with really most of the platforms. If you sign up for any given service, you know, whatever it is, you sign up for it and you've gone in and say you've got Hulu or you've got BritBox, you go to their, if you go to their website and you sign up for Hulu, then Hulu makes money from you, but nobody else does. But if you're on a Roku and a little ad pops up that says, you know, hey, watch The Handmaid's Tale on, on, on your Roku with Hulu and you sign up that way, Roku makes money too. You know, they'll get a little bit of money per subscription. If you go in through the Roku store, or actually the Roku channel, where they have premium subscriptions, and you sign up for a subscription there, Roku makes money. So like, so that, that was the kind of strong arming that was going on with Roku and HBO, you know, as far as HBO Max goes. It was also what was going on with Peacock. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. Just for your information, both of them are on Roku's platform right now. Right. Uh, I was going to bring that up. So in terms of the compromise, and I know the, there's not a lot of information to the public about this, but, um, what are your thoughts about whatever compromise was made? Um, and I know that's a very tough question given the fact that there actually isn't too much information about what happened behind the scenes. Oh, I mean, I think it, worked out well for the general public because people who are just wanting to watch movies, you know, they don't care who's making a little bit more money or a little less money. They just wanted to see Wonder Woman 1984 when it came on on Christmas. So I think as far as that goes, that's all well and good. Uh, but there are, there are people in the industry who have become a little resentful of the way that this goes. They're comparing Roku to almost like 
the cable companies, you know, in the way that something like Time Warner or Comcast will, you know, force the issue for carriage. You know, they're 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 they're, they're such a power broker now that you have to go to the table with them, and only the biggest, most important brands can get it the way that they want. Interesting, and and so I guess that also when we talk about uh, just the dominance and. Uh, I don't know, sort of becoming something that all other platforms really need to rely on. Um, I think something else that's so interesting is, you know, to what degree uh, do these other platforms need to rely on Netflix, where, you know, clearly there is a motivation by most of these platforms and companies that they want to be the home's a centralized streaming service where, all right, we're going to sit on the couch and we're going to go to Netflix, uh, or we're going to sit on the couch and we're going to go to Hulu. But clearly it's the former, it's, it's Netflix that is sort of taking this title. And I think that's incredibly apparent when you see shows like Cobra Kai doesn't do too hot on YouTube TV, but then does incredibly well when the same exact show is just brought over to Netflix. So I wonder if you can speak on that a little bit. What does all of that say to you? Oh well, yeah, real, real. Yeah, you know, I've got plenty to say on that. But just, just so you know, I did want to add one thing on the Roku, though. Yeah, there's actually a lot of companies that get a great benefit from that same arrangement on Roku, like the smaller ones that people don't know about as well. That because they're in that place, they'll find that they're getting more subscriptions than they would have otherwise. I did want to put that out there. It's not like it's all Roku bashing everybody with a big baseball bat. Right. But, you know, so just just to be fair, you know, that there, there, there's some really good things about those programs as far as exposure. Exactly. But, um, Roku it, is not uh, uh, yeah. beating you to a pulp like uh, Cobra Kai would. Right, exactly. They're sweep, sweep the leg, Roku. Exactly. So, um, you know, it's a lot, it's funny. A lot of people say sweep the leg Johnny, but it wasn't Johnny that swept the leg to be technical about it, you know. So, uh, <laughs> anyway. Hey, it's important. Ner- nerding I'm, I'm glad we got this in there, yeah. Yeah, it's a very important that people know that. Um, so what happened with Cobra Kai on YouTube was that YouTube was like a lot of companies. You know, something works, and then people say, oh, we've got to do that. Look at all the money they're making. We've got to do that. And so Netflix had spent a good couple of years at that point with original content, and it was getting a lot of buzz. And YouTube was like, hey, we're Google. You know, we've got billions of dollars. We can do that. Let's just make some original shows. And so they started marketing it. And they first marketed it with this kind of clumsy thing called YouTube Red. And I don't know if you remember, remember that. but this. it was yeah. Right. And so it was like, hey, you can you have YouTube and then you can sign up for YouTube Red and you can get your, your three-minute videos without one ad ahead of it. And also, we've got these originals on the way. And the only original they, that even got any notice was Cobra Kai. And it got a lot of positive buzz. They were hitting the conventions and, you know, and you know, it got, it, it built a name and a brand because it already had the Karate Kid brand. But simply there weren't enough people signed up for YouTube Red because everybody wasn't just going to say, I'm going to pay $6 a month because, you know, in a couple of months, this is going to be like nine episodes of this show that looks like it might be kind of cool. But on Netflix, you're already there. They already had an audience of 180 million people. And on top of that, Netflix had all those algorithms that says, hey, you know what? You like Bruce Lee or you liked Hoosiers. 
you know, you like these underdog stories. You know what you'd like? You'd like Cobra Kai. And so, you know, it just puts it out there. Watch this one. And people have become very reliant on that sort of discoverability like that to where Netflix makes all kinds of things very popular, like Friends did. Friends didn't get really popular with young teenagers because it was a timeless, important show. It was just Netflix looked at the algorithms. They said, hey, you know, you seem to like Miley Cyrus or this, that, and the other. Check out Friends. This is kind of like that. And people are like, oh, yeah, this is cool. And there's 12 seasons or whatever, and I can just watch them. And that's all that happened. I mean, Netflix, and you can tell that because Netflix has not collapsed with the loss of The Office or the loss of Friends or any other show that's ever dropped off. It's actually just past 200 million subscribers across the world today. Wild. Yeah, they made sure that they had eggs in many baskets with their different offerings. Um, and I think that is what's so interesting as well is, you know, there is obviously so much importance to that first mover's advantage. Um, and it's funny because you look at HBO Max, you look at Disney Plus, and I think many people, and I, of course, would be curious to get your thought on this, think, man, if only they had done this a few years earlier, imagine just how uh, dominant and, and pervasive they would be in the streaming world, um, even regardless of the success they've had since launch. Um, but it's interesting because as you were saying, YouTube Red or YouTube TV, this was years ago. Um, this was before Disney Plus and HBO Max and CBS All Access. So um, I guess, what does that say to you? That um, some of these companies, even when they did start early, it still wasn't enough to ultimately compete with the likes of a Netflix. Well, the thing about Netflix is that Netflix established its brand with, you know, being the, oh, you missed that when it was on? Well, you can watch it now on Netflix. You know, a lot of people watch things like Lost or Battlestar Galactica or just, you know, these huge series that defined eras. And it was all on Netflix, all of this old network TV stuff, you, you know, things that had come on just the season before. It was all there already. And so their original content just added to it. And there's a lot of belief that they got into original content when they started realizing, uh-oh, you know, we could lose this kind of stuff. What are we going to do instead? And so they started saying, well, let's, you know, let's, let's get into more original stuff. Let's do House of Cards. Let's do this. Let's do that. You know, people are enjoying political thrillers. So House of Cards will probably work. We'll take it. You know, but um, on the other hand, YouTube Red didn't have anything. It's not like you were already watching all this stuff on YouTube Red and, hey, cool, you know, let's see what ended up happening to Daniel LaRusso. You know, it was, it, they just said, hey, we've got new shows. We're like Netflix. We've got new shows, too. And, it, you know, it didn't work. It just didn't work because there weren't already people that were subscribed to YouTube. People, people hear YouTube and they think, you know, like stuff like I do or, you know, podcasts or funny videos or whatever. They don't think paid service. The YouTube TV is working out well. People are people have sort of grasped that concept now. It's one of the, you know, it's probably, I think it's number two or three as far as subscribers. And it's, if I last time I checked, I think it's over a million. So, you know, their, their paid streaming live TV service is working. But yeah, YouTube Red just came along with, without anything to say. You just, you just can't get away with that. Exactly. It's, it's you know, it's it's part of what happened with Quibi. I know you wanted to talk a little about Quibi today. I do. Plenty and to say about that. Boy, uh, you know what's I, 
there's no way we could have a streaming conversation without talking about Quibi. But before we get there, um, there were a few interesting points that I'm, I'm very curious to uh, further explore. So for one, what, what's been in the news recently is about how Viacom is rebranding their CBS All Access to Paramount Plus. And it was weird because what I read is that the mentality is, oh no, Paramount as a brand is far more recognizable. But um, it, it really does raise a question like, all right, Disney, yeah, I can think, oh, Disney, all the Disney offerings, everybody knows the Disney brand, the Paramount brand. I mean, that that to me is so weird. I don't think there's a lot of people out there who hear Paramount and then immediately in their mind have associations of different movies and TV shows. So I guess that speaks to um, how important it is to have some recognition and start something new. And maybe that's where YouTube went wrong because uh, they were too strongly branded as the user-generated platform. Um, so I, exactly, I really don't even have a question, uh, but I'm very curious to get your thoughts on everything I just uh, endlessly ranted about there. <laughs> All right. Let's see, starting with everything. Um, exactly. When it comes to CBS All Access... You know, I think that CBS All Access' strength is the live stream of CBS in a local market because they've kind of locked that up. And there's a lot of, you know, it's harder to get CBS on certain streaming services. And yet here it is. They've got all their content and you, you can watch whatever your local CBS where you live. If you have CBS All Access, there's a pretty good chance that you'll be able to tune into everything. You know, whether it's the NFL or the local news or CIS, you know, this, that, and the other. You know, they got a million variants. But um, that is where CBS is really strong. But they've had the content problem as well. I've, I've written about this that it's like if they're not talking Star Trek, they don't have anything else. They've had other shows. But, you know, what all people are talking about was, you know, Picard or Star Trek Discovery. Or I'm trying to think Star Trek Below Decks. You know, the, the Twilight Zone spinoff thing they did. It didn't get any buzz. And nothing else has either. You, and, and so you can tell without having to be, you know, you don't need a lot of insight. You go to Yahoo. And, you know, if people aren't saying, what's going to happen with so-and-so on such-and-such? How is this going to affect such-and-such and so-and-so? Such and so? Then you know that the show isn't working. And I don't know one character's name on The Good Fight via reading about it in something else. You know, versus like the stand that's out right now, you know, that's a brand. That's Stephen King. That's one of the most well-known stories, you know, he's ever written. And so people are paying attention to it right now. But, you know, it's you, you just, like I said, you just can't start a service without enough to work with. There has to be a niche that you're filling. And... CBS, I mean, CBS is doing okay. CBS All Access and, you know, in the future, Paramount Plus. I, I, I agree with you, though, on the branding. I mean, nobody says I'm going to Paramount World. <laughs> exactly. That is a great way to put it. Yeah, no one says they're going to Paramount World. Um, but to something else you just mentioned there, because uh, it's funny, it does sort of go contrary to something I was just saying earlier. So, um, hey, maybe I'm totally in the wrong, and I'd love your correction, is that... Um, you're, you seem to believe that the key in thriving as an OTT platform 
is in finding your niche and really branding as such, finding a way to really super serve that niche. Um, but I was saying earlier, it seems like the reason Netflix has dominated is because, uh, you know, they don't narrowly focus on one genre or, you know, one array of content offerings. Uh, they do really cast a wide net to say, hey, guys, we are kind of a one stop shop. Um, so I guess what are your thoughts on that? Uh, having a more, hey, we are your everything branding versus hey, we are uh, hyper-specific, like Shudder, for example, which is the, right. the platform of all horror, horror. movies. Right. Well, um, the thing about Netflix is that it was first, just like Roku was first. I mean, yeah, Netflix, you know, like, again, just like nobody says I'm going to Paramount World, no one says, hey, let's go Shudder and chill. You know, Netflix is because it's just synonymous with pop culture. You know, and because it established itself early with even, you know, even if you, I mean, I'm not sure how old you are, Dylan. You look young in your picture. <laughs> you're in your 20s, 30s? How old are you? Uh, I'm in my 20s. I'll, I'll leave it uh, okay. vague from there. So so you never received Netflix in the mail then, right? Uh, you know, my f my family and friends did. So I'm, I'm familiar yeah. with the early, like, 2010 days of Netflix. See, yes. I mean, when I was, I mean, that, that happened when I was a young father. And Netflix was like a godsend. Oh, thank goodness. You know, and then their streaming thing came out and it was pretty small. I mean, it really, I mean, it, it, it would compare to something like what you see on Crackle almost. It was like, oh, well, this will work, but more of the stuff I want to see is coming on the discs. You know, and then they had to increase what they were doing with that. But the, the thing is that Netflix was able to become a, you know, a grab all because they were able to get established so early that they were able to get all the contacts with all the studios, you know, they've lost some over time, like Disney, you know, because Disney went off on their own. Or The Office, but, they, um, just, they just lost to Peacock. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, but they didn't let, they didn't lose it to Peacock. That's their brand. Exactly. That's their property. They just said, we're not going to rent it to you anymore. You know, just like when a, you know, when somebody owns a lot and they say, okay, you know, that, that trailer you're renting, well, we're going to build a $500,000 house there, so you're going to have to move. You know, sorry, it's not your land, not your lot. So, you know, and so, and so it's really kind of the same thing with these things. You know, pe people like to do that all the time. I, I knew someone who was always, so-and-so has lost, you know, Hulu stole this show from, from Netflix or something like that. You know, it was just Netflix would say, you know what? We think people will watch Netflix whether we're paying you a million dollars for episode of this show or not. How about that? And they've been right again and again. So, but, but because they were able to get in so early and become something that people have by default, that, you know, the fact that they have so many different things is a way to keep people. But nobody else is going to be able to come in there and build a library like that. So, you know, a, a perfect example of the niche thing really, really working it is the WWE Network. I mean, there's nothing on there but wrestling and wrestling content. But it's working because the people who love pro wrestling are like, hey, I'm going to get all of my pay-per-views. I'm going to get you know, the archives. I know people who just sit and they'll just watch. They'll be like, yeah, I'm watching the 1994 Monday Night Raw, you know, all the way through from beginning to end. Like they'll watch it just like you might watch The Office. But, you know, but they're wrestling fans. That's what they do. Yeah. Wow. And, and it's working. It's got a couple of million. It didn't need all that many to make it. And that's the thing is when you've got a smaller niche service, if you can just hit those fans 
and keep them engaged. You don't need, you know, you don't need the kind of numberage that Netflix has. Yeah, they, you can't get as big as Netflix, but that's that's how they that, that's how that works. That's that's why Shutter works. Though I do think there's enough. There's so many niche things right now that you're seeing multiple things that do the same thing. And I don't think that can last. I don't think you can have Britbox and Acorn, for instance. Interesting. Those are both those are both Euro Eurozone BBC type stuff. You know, one of them will buy the other. Just like Comedy Central bought out what was originally called the Ha Network. There was a comedy channel and the Ha Network back in the you know early cable days. Right. And God, we're, you know, we see similar things play out, I guess, between oh, yeah. back what happened in the cable days to now. But, you know, I guess even further drawing on the parallels between cable television to where we currently are, you know, it's funny, you, you talk about how um, your uh, initial reason of making the streaming advisor and kind of building out a community for cord cutters was in, hey, listen, it's expensive to pay for all this cable in your television, um, especially when there are better, more cost-effective alternatives out there. But, you know, it's one thing I think people are seeing, especially as the niche services sort of do become the go-to for specific genres, is man, I'm racking up what is the equivalent to a cable bill, if not more in some cases, from the amount of different streaming platforms uh, that I'm subscribing to. So, you know, to me, that doesn't seem to be totally sustainable. And I've heard others suggest that in the future, what's going to have to happen is there's going to have to be a lot more licensing of original shows onto different competing streaming platforms. So, I'd love to get your thought on that. Where is the future of of all of these different services people have to subscribe to? Where is this really leading? Well, part of it is like what I was saying a second ago. I think that more services are going to buy each other and then put out services along the lines of what you're seeing with Discovery Plus right now. You know, Discovery Plus is all just Discovery stuff along with A&E networks, Things like the History Channel, you know, that's not a Discovery Network. But you're going to see things like that, like these bundles like Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus didn't start off that way. It was just CBS. Then Paramount, sorry, Viacom and CBS merged. They had been one company before, but they remerged. They bought Pluto TV and they say, boom, now we're the new Viacom CBS. We've got this, 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 and that. You know, And, you're, you're, and you'll see more and more people doing that so that Instead of saying having 20 leading streaming services, you might have nine. Like maybe, you know, Disney will end up buying Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment and then they'll own Disney Plus and Hulu and ESPN Plus and Crackle and, you know, and so on down the line. Popcorn flicks, you know, I don't know that that's going to happen or anything, but... That's the kind of thing that's most likely to happen is that the, some of the biggest companies out there will buy them. I mean, that's, that's what's happened in every single market. Every single market, like in general, in history, pretty much goes like that. You always have a couple of big ones. You notice there's not 61 oil companies, right? It's not that you can't make money in oil. It's that the biggest oil companies bought up all the small ones. There, aren't, there weren't 25 over-the-air major networks. There was ABC, CBS, and NBC forever and then Fox. And that was it, you know, since 1930. 
And I think that the same thing's going to happen in streaming. To, to me right now, the big there's a big three, just like there was with the networks. Netflix, I call it Disney Hulu because it's the same company. So any subscriber that's subscribed to Hulu, they're paying Disney. You know, anyone sign, you know, anyone selling up for a Disney Plus, they're paying Disney. But you know, them with their bundle, and then Amazon, they're the big three. They're like ABC, CBS, and NBC were, you know, throughout, you know, all the way up until the '90s when Fox became the next guy. You know, and I think the next guy, the next one up is Discovery Plus. Interesting. Can you? Speak? I think that's the fourth network. So can you speak a little bit more about that? Is you know, I think for myself, and I'm gonna go out on a limb and assume a lot of people listening don't know a lot about Discovery Plus and uh, what the offerings are going to be and how it's going to be different from the other streaming platforms that are out there. Discovery, while everybody else is trying to get the hot show, like the hot new original drama or you know this really popular TV show or movie series from before, Discovery Plus is built almost exclusively on this wide range of reality TV. So it's it's everything from the he said, she said, you know, some people would call that trash TV, you know, like Jersey Shore kind of stuff, you know. They, they don't have Jersey Shore. That's that's Viacom, actually. And it's an MTV thing. But, uh, they, but they have gigantic library of true crime. They have a gigantic library of cooking shows and, you know, yard maintenance shows and all, all of that stuff, anything that comes on HGTV, the cooking network, the food network, you can watch it. And there's a big market for that. People, that, that's comfort television. That's great background television. My wife, she turns on a true crime show every day while she's working on her, on her job. She just has it on in the background while she's on her computer and that's what she does. And uh, this... The thing is that that market has not been tapped effectively yet, until now. There's the and you know I, you know I I might be making a jump too far, but I would say that for women between the ages of thirty five and sixty five, Discovery Plus is their ESPN. Interesting, and I, I want to prod a little bit deeper into that because. Uh, I think this does nicely tie up a lot of things that we had already discussed here, which is, you know, finding an audience and really branding your streaming service appropriately. Um, what is interesting about that is thinking about how maybe Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime Video, maybe even HBO Max, a lot of that is maybe a little bit more geared towards millennials. Uh, that's who they're really trying to target. Um, that's where maybe they've seen a lot of success and signups and loyal subscribers in the past. But right now where there is a void and an opportunity is in, it's only a matter of time between Gen X and baby boomers decide, okay, you know what? I want to go into a streaming platform. Uh, I know my, say my son tells me I need to do Netflix. Um, I don't really know what's going to be the best one for me. And Discovery Plus will have everything they need put really simply for them, especially if they don't want to have to learn all the mechanics to, okay, here are all these streaming platforms. Um, you know, here is how you manage all these different accounts, so on and so forth. Exactly. Well, the, the thing is that there's not a lot of baby boomers that don't already use Netflix unless they're the, 
the oldest of the old. Like I said, we're, we're talking 200 million subscribers. That's, that's a lot of people. Um, so, but the thing is, like what you're saying, though, like what it is is that people, they say, I don't want to have to pay all this money anymore. So many people actually have like $200 cable bills, not cable and internet, just the television costs $200 to use and then I pay $50 for internet or whatever. And services like Discovery Plus give them what they want. I mean, the other services do too. Hulu, the amount of content on Hulu, the network stuff, that's where I watch most of my network stuff. I don't watch TV live. I watch shows from NBC on Hulu. I watch shows from ABC on Hulu. I watch shows from Fox on Hulu. And, uh, you know, I don't really watch much on CBS. I, you know, it's just it just works out for me, I guess. But with Discovery Plus, not only does it have that library of content that I was talking about, new shows that are on, shows that are like their regulars, you can watch their episodes the next day, just like you can on Hulu. So a show like Hometown, which my wife and I watch, there's probably a new episode right now because it comes on, I think, on Sunday nights, maybe Monday, I don't remember. But you can go to it just like you can with other services, watch it the next day. So if you're a fan, if that's the thing that you've got on your TV most of the time, it's obviously where you would go. But people approach these things more like, where can I watch fill-in-the-blank? Like, where can I watch MacGyver? Or where can I watch... You know, what What show, what has the Star Wars movies? Where can I watch the Star Wars movies? And so, oh, you just get Disney Plus. They've got all the Star Wars stuff. Oh, okay, that sounds good. You know, and and that's, sort of, that's sort of the way Netflix spread too. It's like, you know, you'd say, hey, have you seen Sherlock? Well, Sherlock, what's that? Oh, it's like a modern take on Sherlock Holmes. You, it's, it's on Netflix. Oh, okay. You know, and then boom, Benedict Cumberbatch is an international sex symbol. Skinny, pasty English guy. Now he's an action hero. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, and God, you know, so something else there from, from what you were just saying. So, you know, Disney Plus, um, yeah, I think what what they're known for right now is finding, okay, what's going to be the new content we can provide of familiar brands? Um, I'm pretty sure that's Marvel. Um, maybe I'm wrong there, but it's, it's definitely Star Wars. Um, and... Meanwhile, take something like Peacock, where Peacock, I'm inundated with ads left and right. They, they must have figured out that I am their target customer. Um, and all it is, is, hey, we have The Office. It is nothing more than, hey, we have a show that you are familiar with. Not even a new show, not even a new spin on it. So moving forward for all these different platforms, what's going to be key? Is it going to be in having new original content or is it going to be in licensing shows or uh, just offering old shows that that uh, network had already provided in the past? Well, I think Peacock can make it. I don't think it can make it because of The Office. I think that Peacock, what's going to happen is right now there's an NBC app that you can use and you can sign into it and watch TV shows that have been, you know, that have been on this season, archived content, things like that. It's a, like I said, NBC's had one for years and years and years. And what you see on Peacock is only a little bit more than what's on that app. And I think that what's going to happen with Peacock is actually that eventually ES, not ESPN, that NBC is just going to say, or Comcast, you know, what? we're going to take all our brands 
which they're already on there. Like if you go to the NBC app, you can go to you can see the Sci-Fi Channel and all sorts of different things. USA. They're just going to say we're not going to have an NBC app and a Peacock app. We're going to have this thing, and if you want to watch the shows that are on NBC this week, you can come on into Peacock and watch them. You can also watch this movie. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll start producing their own stuff. I mean, studios just to produce made-for-TV movies, that was a, a weekly thing. That's another thing that, you know, you'd have to ask your mom about. But, uh, you know, the, but you know, there used to be the ABC movie of the week. You know, a woman find, fights for her lost daughter or whatever. And, uh, you know, I think, I think services like Peacock will probably go that route. And, you know, and now and then somebody will get a hit. I mean, you don't know what's going to take off. Uh, you know, when when they first said there's going to be a show called The Mandalorian, no one said, oh, I bet there's going to be a baby Yoda and it's going to become the biggest thing in the country. And so, you know, they didn't even have, the Disney didn't even realize it. They did not have the merchandise ready to go. That's so interesting. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but, I, you know, I trust you. I'll preface by saying that, but I always thought it was the exact opposite. I always thought... They had someone in there who was like, all right, guys, I've done a deep dive analysis on internet memes, and this Baby Yoda thing is going to take off like a rocket. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know that they did or didn't do that, I'll tell you, but I do know this. When it came out, there weren't already toys for it. And so, you know, and, you know, and my, <laughs> my wife is always saying... I bet the people who are buying the toys are like me. She's got four or five of them, <laughs> different types. Wow, there you go. <laughs> you know, and 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 there's there's Facebook groups full of like middle aged women with all of their baby Yodas. Wow. Um, you know, but they did they didn't they didn't know that this was going to happen. The first baby Yoda stuff was like knockoff, like not even official Disney stuff. And then you know, months later, but you know, but versus when they have a movie, there's Godzilla versus King Kong toys being sold right now. And that movie wasn't supposed to come out until much later. Interesting. You know, so you can tell when they think, oh, this is going to, kids are going to love it. But they didn't realize that it was going to take off because no other Star Wars character has ever been that huge. There weren't, there weren't people buying little Ewok dolls. Yeah. Wow. Um, and yeah, you have to wonder, what is the strategy there? Um, are, are they thinking about virality and making things huge across the internet and memes and popular on different platforms? Or sometimes is it really just luck? Maybe The Mandalorian, they decided, all right, we need to really go heavy on original content, and then they strike gold from there. But um, outside of just Disney Plus and the platforms of tomorrow, say like Discovery Plus, um, we kind of already teased it, Ryan, but, um, I need, it would be remiss of me not to get your thoughts on Quibi. Um, yeah, I, I kind of want to leave it at that. I don't even want to lead you in a certain direction, but, uh, your thoughts on the whole matter, kind of where things went wrong. Um, maybe things went right in some areas. I don't know. What do you, what was your analysis, uh, by the end there? Okay, well, we'll, we'll start with the good. That turnstile technology, whoever actually owns it, and that's up for grabs, was a really neat idea. The way they filmed was interesting. Did you ever actually see it yourself? I did, and I think it's important for listeners. Let's let's highlight exactly what the turnstile technology was. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it was when you flip your phone from either vertical or horizontal view, 
not only is it, okay, we're just reformatting given these two options, you're actually seeing something that you wouldn't see in the other view, correct? Right, exactly. Yeah, they filmed it with the two cameras. And so, like, I was watching A Most Dangerous Game, and there was a scene where he was in a confessional with a priest. And if you held the, if I held my iPad in one way, you could see his, like, the way he was moving his hand and just tapping and things like that. But if you looked at it the portrait way, you didn't see that. It was really, it was really interesting. I found myself like constantly turning back and forth, back and forth. You know, it became like an ADD thing almost. But uh, the, in general, so that was, that was cool. And that could go somewhere. I could, I could imagine that being used later on because, you know, most things, as you know, and you watch it in portrait and you just have a, you know, it's like the most gigantic letter boxes you've ever had with a little picture in the middle. And, you know, as, as people keep that in mind, it could be it could be an interesting use case. I, I like I said I, I don't know if anybody's going to take advantage of it or not, but I think that was the most interesting thing out of that. Why it didn't work? I think Quibi learned all the wrong lessons and listened to all the wrong like analysis. They they looked at a bunch of factors and they put it all together, and it you know it was like I'll, I'll try to just think about it. like okay uh, they saw that people your age, they say, well, people, you know, people in their 20s, early 30s, they don't even own TVs. They watch all their TV on the phone, you know. But what they weren't thinking of is how many people in their 20s and early 30s were living at home with their parents because of, you know, economic problems. And not only that, they had a couple of jobs. You know, they were, they were doing whatever they could to make it by. So, no, they didn't own a TV. But when they watched TV, it was on a television. You know, they might have, they, they use, you know, people will use their phones to go away and get some privacy. But, you know, no one wants to say, hey, the Super Bowl's on. Let me get my iPhone. Are you crazy? <laughs> you know, and so that was one thing they did wrong. A another thing that they didn't get was they, they looked at people, you know, they looked at YouTube. Oh, look, YouTube's the number one, you know, the most used platform in the, in the world. And it's all short form video. If we have a platform that's all short form video, Maybe we can make it a top audience, you know, while ignoring that Netflix was the number two platform in the world. And so, you know, like I said, YouTube had a very specific branding and feel, and nobody's ever been able to repeat what YouTube's done. There's not been one competitor for YouTube that's even come minusculely close. And so, you know, but Quibi thought, you know, we're smart, you know, we're... You know, I'm Katzenberg and Whitman, you know, they're like, we're, you know, we're, we, we know, you know, we know, we know this business, we're going to make this work. And to, to me, it was kind of like looking at a hot dog, right? And you say, you know, people love hot dogs, you know, it's been around forever. What if we sold all the parts of the hot dog separately? You know, just go out there and get those pig noses. You know, people seem to like it. They, they eat hot dogs all the time. They'll eat pig noses. No, you know, I'm not going to eat 0.1% rat hair and, you know, and I'm not saying that Quibi was 0.1% rat hair, but it's like they just took all, it's just like they disassembled everything incorrectly. Their reverse engineering just got it all wrong. Yeah. And, you know, I, I even think to the initial analysis they had, you know, 
I don't know if, and, and this is something else I'm very curious about, and you may not know, but um, I definitely want to pose the question as, you know, my hypothesis was, had they only focused on episodic content, maybe the results would have been different. Now, I, I don't think there was any universe in which it was going to be the success that it was, but I think their fantasy of, hey, you're waiting to get your prescription, you are on the subway, you're going to want to watch a serialized show where you have to remember different characters and their motivations and the A storyline to the B storyline, not a chance. In those moments, people just want to watch easily digestible content. So, yeah. Right, like people falling off a skateboard. Bingo. Yeah, uh, in fact, that, that, kind of techno- that kind of thing is really, really, really popular in short form. When I talk to the people from places like Pluto and Zuma, you know, Fail Army and little pet, uh, what's it called, the Pet Collective, things like that are very popular. Oh, cute puppy. Okay, coffee break over. Yeah, no one says, hey, I'm going to take, you know, it's, it's like if you had a book and you read one paragraph at a time. I'm just going to squeeze in one paragraph. You know, I'll be done with this book in a couple of years. You know, that, that, was, that seemed to be what Quibi was thinking. You know, people will watch a four-minute show. And then the thing was is that when you actually did watch the content, there wasn't a complete story. It, it's, it was really just like, like built-in commercial breaks. Like if you were watching a show and there was a commercial break, every four minutes or every five minutes, you'd be like, oh, my God, there's so many commercials. And they thought that they could disguise that by saying each one was its own story. Each one was its own episode. And people, I think, saw right through it. Again, they, they didn't get it. They, they, yeah, they saw short form. Like I said, people will watch YouTube. But they like to they watch it for a couple of minutes. They go. You know, like people watch my videos. They'll, they'll watch like, I might do a 10-minute video. People might watch four minutes. I and mean, if you if if you're a YouTuber and you get like people watching six minutes of a ten minute video, you're the man. Hundred percent. Well, God, Ryan, I'm I'm glad as an ending note we could really highlight uh, Quibi and what it says, what precedent it says about the future of this industry. Um, and I'll say, you know, in terms of the value to your insights, uh, things like Discovery Plus, things that would not have been on my radar had it not been for your deep dives and analyses on this is why uh, this streaming platform is something to pay attention to. But um, Ryan, I guess before we end here, um, to the listeners, is there any greater call to action, anything else you want to talk about that you personally are are diving into or some deeper thoughts uh, on the industry that we didn't get to really discuss today? Well, I think... It's going to be very interesting to see what happens when this whole, you might have heard the term next-gen TV happens. This is this is ATSC 3.0, which is going to be TV, like internet-connected content, delivered over antennas. I think we're going to see a major merging of that, you know, of on-demand and over-the-air and, you know, high-definition content all being mixed together to a point where we're we're going to we're going to further lose what it is to watch TV. You're not you're not going to know whether things are coming via the internet or via an antenna or via cable. Um but as far as a call to action, I just say you know 
to your point about paying the money, you know, paying for so many services that it's like cable, people have to remember that you're usually signing up for a service or something like that for a show or two. Watch your show and stop it. You can sign up for Stars, watch American Gods, and stop. You can sign up for CBS All Access and watch Star Trek Discovery and stop, and then watch it again when it comes on. You know, don't pay, you know, two hundred dollars a month because of you know, twenty different services. You know, get the ones that have the things that you do watch every day, and then for the others, you know, just you know. But that's something I hear all the time. Oh, what? So so now I have to have a a special service just to watch. You know, everybody loves Raymond. Well, no, thank you. No, you don't have to have a special service. In fact, you know what? You don't have to watch Everybody Loves Raymond. You know, I'm sure you enjoyed it, but when it went off the air, didn't you watch something else anyway? So it doesn't matter whether somebody's got it. Watch it or don't. You know, and not, nobody's trying to trick you. But the the thing that I don't understand is people nitpick so much about the price of these streaming services. Say, well, $4 here and $5 there, that really adds up. And how many of them go out and overpay for shoes? Overpay for for pocketbooks, overpay for coffee every single day. While the TV shows, they're giving you some, you know, they're giving you relaxation. They're giving you company. I don't know. I, th- I think that paying for TV is in some ways one of the better investments, you know, of their uh, of their money that they can make. I mean, it, I don't want people to be couch potatoes, but, you know, the thing is that, you know, you don't you don't have to people Americans in general have got to stop being marketed to we're always marketed to and and when i've when I've written about cable and things like that that's that's, that's what I've you know talked about is that you know this idea that you need these shows like your life is not going to be complete if you don't see what happens at the end of Game of Thrones I mean I enjoyed it, but I was happy the the four, the three or four years before I even started watching it, when everybody was talking about it, I never thought, "Wow, now my life is complete. Now I've seen what everybody's talking about." It's just, "Oh, that's cool. I can't wait for the next episode." But there's no reason. There's just no reason to have eleven, twelve, thirteen streaming services. And, you know, and to be honest with you, I don't think a lot of people have them on their own. Most people are doing that polling thing, you know. Got my Netflix from my friend. I've got Hulu because of my sister. I got you know. I watch ESPN through my parents. And I'll say cable. I am I am uh, one of the culprits of that. Um, which, you know, uh, it'll change up at some point, and it'll probably be to Discovery Plus. Who knows? Even though I'm, we finally I'm, exactly you. this was a, a big sting operation, <laughs> but. Um, that's right here they they come boys Ryan again I want to say a huge thank you for taking the time on all this and in the show notes it will be a link to the streamingadvisor.com fantastic news and updates related to the streaming cord cutting world Uh, and again Ryan thank you for taking the time to connect on all of this you got and if I could just say uh, we do have a, a Facebook community it's not called the streaming advisor it's called cord cutting extreme if you want to jump on there and, you know, we can chat, connect, you know, things like that. But there's a lot of people out there asking questions and getting them answered. You know, we try to keep it, you know, civil and nice. Fantastic. I hope civil. Um, I know it can get very testy in the yeah. streaming world, but awesome. I, I will provide that in the show notes as well. And again, Ryan, thank you for taking the time. You got it, man. Thanks a lot.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tube Circuit. Please subscribe for more deep dives in interviews on the direction of digital media. Thank you.